whenever you happen to be listening to this, welcome to Luke 20, verses 1 through 2. On one of the days, while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? In their venture to trick Jesus, and to show him as a fraud, and possibly use that to kill him, the priests began to question him on authority. They asked by what authority Jesus did these things. They also asked who had given him that authority. Why? Because it was understood that priests were under God's authority to lead the temple. If Jesus answered anyone but God, the priests had the right, quote-unquote, to throw him out of the temple. But if he said God, they would report him to the Romans, who were alert for rebellions, especially in the time of Passover. They could also use this to rile up the Jews against Jesus on the basis of blasphemy. Verses 3 to 8. Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus, being extremely intelligent as he was, responded with a question. He asked the same question to the religious men, but of John the Baptist. The men could not answer because they were in the trap in the trap they had tried to lay for Jesus. If they answered God, they would undermine their own authority. If they answered with what they believed that his authority was from man, the people would stone them. They decided not to answer, so Jesus didn't answer them. Why John the Baptist? Because he was the forerunner of Christ. He began preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus' coming. Their rejection of John was essentially a rejection of Jesus. John had a direct connection with Jesus' ministry. To deny John's ministry was ultimately to deny Christ's. Verses 9-12 through 12. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also, and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third And this one also they wounded and cast out. This parable was in response to the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus. They had asked Jesus about authority. He returned their question with a question, and there was a stalemate. So Jesus gave this parable. This parable would have been familiar to the Israelites since Isaiah used the figure of speech um, to describe Israel in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. A man has a vineyard, and he plays tenants to work while he was away. While he was gone, he progressively sent three servants to retrieve produce from his vineyard 
And all three times, the servants returned beaten, bruised, shamed, and empty-handed. The vineyard represents Israel, and the evil tenants are the Pharisees. The Pharisees were to lead the people to God, not to ritualism. The servants represent the prophets. Time and time again, God sent prophets to Israel to warn them of their state. Israel was against God, and he would judge them, but Israel repeatedly rejected the prophets. Verses 13 to 16. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. Finally, the owner decides to send his son, thinking the tenants would respect him. Instead, they plotted to kill him and assumed that the inheritance would fall to them. So the tenants killed the son. The son is representative representative of Jesus who would be killed in a matter of days outside Jerusalem, which was the vineyard. The story would not turn out like the tenants or Pharisees had planned. Instead of receiving the vineyard, Israel, for themselves, the owner, God, would destroy them and give the vineyard to others, the Gentiles. The crowds responded with a strong negation. Verses 17 to 19. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the Pharisees tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. Jesus quoted Psalm 118.22 for them. Jesus' point was that they had rejected what seemed like a normal stone, but in fact they were rejecting the most important part of the structure. The cornerstone was the stone that was the most important in the building. It, was, it gave the building its beginning, its shape, its foundation. Yet the leaders of Israel, the builders, had rejected Jesus, the cornerstone, and the people were soon to follow. Those that rejected this stone would in turn be destroyed. This was severe, but true. The scribes and the chief priests forgot their plans and tried to kill Jesus right there. They knew he had spoken against them, but they did not follow through because they were scared of the people. This is important. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. If you are basing your salvation on yourself, karma, false gods, or expectations, you're going to be condemned. On the other hand, if you base your faith on Christ alone, you will be saved. When we believe in Christ, God no longer sees us as sinful people in direct violation of his righteousness. Rather, he sees us as perfect, holy children changed by the power of the blood of Christ. Where is your salvation based? Verses 20 to 26. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, 
Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in his saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. The the Pharisees retreated, but did not give up. They sent spies to try to trick Jesus. Of course, these men asked a controversial question in the midst of a crowd. They hypocritically praised him and placed themselves in the same righteous place by asking if it was good for us to pay taxes, which all hated paying. If he said no to paying taxes, the Pharisees could use that against him in court with the Romans. If he said yes, the Jews would dislike the answer and possibly go against him. Jesus knew their hearts and their desire to trick him. So he picked up a coin, a denarii, and asked them who was on it. They answered, Caesar. Jesus gave the perfect answer, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Not only obey officials and pay taxes, but give to God from your money as well. Government is instituted by God, so we must respect it, according to Romans 13. Until our governments tell us to do something against the Bible, we are called to obey them. The second their commands go against the Bible, we are called to follow the Bible. With this answer, Jesus amazed and shut the spies up. Okay, how do we apply this to us? We are called to be citizens that honor God. This means we pay our government's taxes and we do not take advantage of the power um, of the government by using it when there is no need. For example, in America, some collect disability in order to have income without having to work. Now, there are some who are not actually disabled. They're simply being lazy and feel that others have a responsibility to financially support them. Maybe they have not thought that far. Another example is cheating on taxes. People who cheat on taxes feel that the government has no right to tax their income. But Jesus says we are to obey and submit to the government. Verses 27 and 28. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Some Sadducees, which were another religious group, took a turn to trick Jesus. Interestingly, how they did not believe in resurrection, despite the fact that Jesus had resurrected Lazarus not too long before. It is sad how set people can be in their ways. They also denied all the supernatural. But they begin this question correctly. The law does state that if a man dies having a wife, the brother should marry the wife to protect her and to keep his brother's lineage from dying. And we see this in Deuteronomy 25, 5-10 and played out in the book of Ruth. Verses 29-33 to 33. 
Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless, and the second and the third married her, and in the same way all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. <laughs> Here's a trick question. They asked if seven brothers married this one woman based on the law and had no children, whose wife would she be after the resurrection? The problem is that this question was hypocritical on the part of the Sadducees. They did not believe in a resurrection at all. This was solely to trick, not to seek knowledge. Verses 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die, even die any more, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Jesus answered again perfectly. When we arrive in heaven, we will not have the institution of marriage as it is now, we will all be married as the bride of Christ to him. I believe we will remember our earthly marriage. For example, I believe that next to Jesus, my wife will be my best friend there as she is now. But our earthly marriage will not transfer over. We will both be new creations in glorified bodies. There will be no more death. So no more need for marriage or procreation. One clarification, just in case. When scripture here says that we will be like the angels, it does not mean we turn into angels when we die. We will still be humans. It simply means we will not get married, as angels do not get married. Verses 37 to 40. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed, in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they did not have the courage to question him any longer about anything. The Sadducees only believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So in response to their question, Jesus only used those portions of scripture. He met them where they were. Jesus referred to when Moses was before the burning bush, and God said he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was referring to being their God, not having been. God is not a God of dead people, but of the living. In other words, those men may not have been alive on earth in Moses' time, but they were living in heaven. Exodus 3. God was preserving them for a future resurrection. This, again, shut up Jesus' opponents. 41 to 44. Then he said to them, How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he his son? Jesus asked a question of the people around him. It was said that the anointed Messiah was to be the son of David. 2 Samuel 7, 13 to 14, Isaiah 11, 1, Jeremiah 23, 5, which makes sense because of lineage. 
Jesus quotes Psalm 110.1, where David calls the Messiah, my Lord. And the Messiah is exalted to the right hand of God, with all his enemies defeated. How can the Messiah be David's son, beneath him, yet his Lord, above him? The only way it can be is through Jesus coming from the lineage of David, yet being the fully divine God. Jesus fulfilled both aspects without contradicting the other. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of David, and God Almighty. Verses 45 to 47. And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Jesus warned the disciples about the scribes, the religious people, within earshot of the multitudes. People can only see the facade, but God sees the heart. Scribes taught the Bible, wore expensive robes, and offered lengthy prayers only because they loved respect, attention, and honor from others. They would take over even a widow's house, the lowest, poorest in society, if it served their purpose. They were hypocrites, and for it they will be judged. They will receive harsher punishment because they had greater knowledge, so they would be held to a higher standard. James 3.1 Are you a hypocrite? Search your heart. Ask God to reveal hypocrisy in your life. It is not too late to change, but do not wait, because one day it will be. That finishes up our chapter. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day or night.